while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Was that what it was? Sugar plums? A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Well, here we are, a couple of weeks before Christmas. Can you believe it? I cannot. One quick housekeeping detail. I want you to know that this is the second to last podcast in season four of Good Story. The last one will air on December 23rd. Then we will be on a few weeks hiatus before we get right back at it for season five. Make sure you've subscribed if you haven't already, so you will be notified when we're back. I loved the lead into Christmas time when I was in college. I loved seeing the trees on campus change from autumnal bright to blanketed white. I loved going into the registrar's office. Not generally, I didn't, but at Christmas time, there would be a tree and there'd be candy and things would be all lit up. I also liked making a list and checking it twice, which had nothing to do with who was naughty or nice or gifts at all. Instead, it was more like the end of the term. So the list looked like, take a final, hand in a paper, check the lost and found. Have I ever mentioned before my lost and found ritual? Every so often, I would try to check the school's lost and found to see if I lost anything. There was a wall of cubbies in the corner of one of the buildings where you'd be able to find the glove you've been looking for, or the math book you were misplaced at lunch, or maybe you'd find a scarf or a water bottle. Well, you get the picture. I, however, would go not looking for the thing I thought I lost, but looking to see if I had lost anything at all, but hadn't noticed it yet. And sure enough, more often than it should have happened, I'd find a notebook or a hat or whatever. It was a fun reunion. I could enjoy the joy of the found before I even experienced the irritation or panic of the lost. The event that I remember most, as I look back on the things I enjoyed about the lead into Christmas while I was in college, was our preparation and the presentation of our Christmas production. It was the one time of the year that the college choirs, band, and orchestra would all perform together, and it was wonderful. I remember the year we dimmed all the lights in the auditorium and the choirs processed in with candles. A scripture was read about light being seen in the darkness. I remember triumphant songs played and sung with great joy as all the voices from all the choirs joined all the instrumentalists in praising God for coming to earth as the baby Jesus. I remember getting chills when the narrator read about God coming near. And as I was reminded again of this great selfless act by a great and powerful God. I remember getting chills another time too, but for an entirely different reason. But let me back up. I woke up in my dorm room on a Friday morning early. Really early. Way too early. I woke up with a start and I ran as fast as I could to the bathroom. And I got sick. Ah. I had to skip my first class because I felt too weak and tired to go. I had been, as my mom used to say, burning the candle at both ends. 
I feel like every mom has probably said that. And it's never in a positive way. Nobody ever says, great job finding a way to burn the candle at both ends. It's always a warning or an admonition. I actually looked up that phrase this week because I was curious. The term burn the candle at both ends, the phrase, it's derived from a French phrase that I tried to work out pronouncing correctly, like I broke it down word by word because I do not speak French. I wasted so much time with the phrase until then I thought of the obvious. And, and here it is. Siri, how do you say burn the candle at both ends in French? Brûle la bougie par les deux bouts. All right. There it is. It's an original French phrase. It was coined around the beginning of the 17th century. The early meaning of burn the candle at both ends was to be a spendthrift, to be wasteful. Because candles were expensive, and if you were burning both ends of it, hello, you'd burn them up twice as fast. I used to feel wasteful burning candles at all. Until I met my friend Denise, like, years ago, she always had a candle burning in her home, and it always smelled so good. I, myself, would only burn them if I had company coming over. But come to think of it, maybe I was the company Denise was <laughs> burning her candle for. No, that's not it. She burned them all the time. Because if I'd walk in unannounced, there was a candle burning. So now I burn candles all the time, too. As soon as the leaves start to turn, you can be sure I am burning my Yankee Macintosh candle. I love that. Now with Christmas approaching, it smells like a cozy Christmas forest. Don't burn the candle at both ends. Yes, don't do that. That's bad. <laughs> Unless you can't help it. Like when you're in college and you have finals and papers and you're practicing for the upcoming pr Christmas production for hours and hours each evening. Where originally that phrase used to refer about wasting money, being a spendthrift, burning the candles at both ends. It's evolved to mean wasting your time, spending too much time doing too many things, right? Well, sometimes you just can't help it and you have no choice but to. In case you're wondering, nope, I didn't just say it. All right. So Friday morning, back to Friday morning, I skipped my class. I drank a little water. I took a nap. I tried to study for a test I had that afternoon. I drank a little more water. I ate a cracker that my roommate brought me from the dining hall, plain saltine. Nothing like it when you're sick. <laughs> drank a little ginger ale, which by the way, not until like in the last couple of years could I ever even drink ginger ale when I wasn't sick, but I love it now. Eventually, I felt a little bit better, but not great. I got up, walked to class to take my final because I didn't feel like rescheduling it. And then along the way somewhere, I remembered something else, that this was the night that Kenny's parents were coming into town for the concert and we were going to hang out with them afterwards. Oh, now I wanted to get better even more. But wanting to do something and being able to do something isn't always the same thing. We've talked about that before. But in preparation for the evening, I thought, well, I'll go back and try to sleep for a little while, and who knows? Maybe I'll wake up feeling great. So that's exactly what I did. Went, laid down, slept for a while until it was time to get up and get ready. Woke up, didn't feel great. Before the evening concert that night, there was a dinner that was hosted by the school. I'm not sure really who all was attending it, but I do know this. They asked a number of us who were in choir to dress up like old-fashioned carolers and walk around the tables and occasionally stop and sing. Kenny and I were asked to do this, and because he was doing it and because I was willing myself to feel better, I decided I would keep that gig even though I wasn't yet feeling 100%. I wasn't even a solid 50% at that time, I don't think. At any rate, 
and met up with the others who were all dressed in this fancy garb, put on my large, hot costume, layer after layer, complete with a large hat and a furry muff. A muff? Is that impractical winter clothing accessory of the past? It's usually made out of fur and was like a tube. You'd slide both your hands into it, one from each side, until they met in the middle. Probably the most ineffective way to hold your hands. You can't hold a cup of coffee. You can't hold a pencil. You can't pick up anything that's dropped. I guess you can't drop anything either because your hands are being held captive. But for those of you who prefer gloves to mittens, for the convenience of moving all your fingers and not just your opposable thumbs, the muff would be a nightmare. It's warm, though. It's super warm. And that night, it was too warm. We'd stand and sing a song as we'd hover over people's plates of food, and I was having more than just visions of sugar plums dancing around in my head. The plums were swirling around with the chicken and the bread and the clinking of the dishes and the slurping of the coffee. I'd sing, and then I'd kind of sway, saunter away, trying to keep in some sort of a character. I'd go over to the side of the room where I'd lean against the wall and breathe deeply, break my hands free from their little puffy prison for a few moments and try to catch my breath. While this event was usually one I found pretty fun, this night kind of felt like torture. I was so grateful when it was over. I was applauding myself for the win. I did it. I grabbed my backpack, went to a nearby bathroom so I could change into what we were supposed to wear for the Christmas production. I can't even remember exactly what that was, but I remember it was way more comfortable than what I had been wearing, and I also remember I still didn't feel great. But I was able to keep down a couple more saltines and a little bit of water. So I made my way over to the Performing Arts Center where we were supposed to meet up and get ready, get in line. We did. We processed in. We sang as we did so. We sat in our chairs while the orchestra played. We stood and then sang with them for another song. We sat down while the women's chorale sang and sat down when the men's chorus sang and then we stood up and sang and then they stood up and sang with us and then we sit down while somebody else played. There was lots of standing and lots of sitting, and I remember the stage lights feeling like they were getting a little bit hotter as the evening was going on. I started trying to add up the time the songs would take until I'd be able to get off of the stage. And during this time of doing the math, we started to sing Emmanuel, not O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the one you find in hymnals. First time was in 1710. Rumors are the song O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is written as early as the 12th century, but not that one. We were singing an orchestral arrangement of Emmanuel, the Christmas song that was written by Michael W. Smith. He had just written it with his wife, Debbie. It was on the Amy Grant's 1983 Christmas album, and it was a beautiful piece that we were going to perform. It was done in an arrangement that also gave me chills. <laughs> we all stood to sing. The orchestra began, and I was all in. I love the name Emmanuel, God with us. I loved the words. I loved the orchestration. What I didn't love was how weak I was beginning to feel. I tried to concentrate on the words, but the lights just kept feeling like they were getting hotter and hotter, and the song was almost done, right before it almost finished. I was telling myself, hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. I tried to focus my attention on the director, almost like he was the only one in the room. And while I stared at him, stared at him pretty soon, it was the only thing I could see in the room. Everything in my periphery had gotten darker and darker, and then pretty soon I realized I wasn't seeing him either. I turned my head to the left to say something to the guy who was singing next to me, who happened to be Kenny's younger brother, Craig, but I didn't hear any words, and I didn't remember even seeing him, and then everything went black. 
I am told that I collapsed on the chairs, that I fainted quietly. I was told that when the song was over and the lights went out, two people took me to the side exit hallway, one carrying me by the arms and the other by the legs, and a friend went along beside me for moral support. I came to when I was in this hallway. One of my professors was sitting there with me and my friend. He was actually my psychology professor and started asking me about my emotional state. <laughs> for real. I told him, I think actually my fainting was all pretty physical as I regaled him with too much information while I sat there with my head between my knees <laughs> trying to get my oxygen back up. I'm like, I threw up last night. I've had saltines and ginger ale and I had rest and my hands are trapped in a muff and I'm hungry. I'm so weak. Eventually the concert ended and I processed out with the rest of them. Walked out of the auditorium walked out of the building and walked right back to my room and crawled into bed with my saltines and a banana and a pile of notes to study for the weekend. I didn't get to spend any time with Kenny's parents that night. Ah, apparently Christmas is not for the faint. But let's be real. Neither was the very first one. In fact, the events leading up to the very first Christmas for many individuals, I would think, would be cause for concern and far from festive, could be cause for stress. As I think about Mary and the conversations she had to have and the decisions she had to make and the travel she had to endure, I am pretty sure in the midst of it all, she could have been tempted to feel far less than festive and far more faint-hearted. But her response to it all was remarkable and one I think I can learn from and maybe you can too. In the record of the birth of Jesus being foretold in Luke 1, we read this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's look back at this passage for a moment. Did you hear? God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. The angel appears to Mary, and what does he say? Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What was Mary's response? It says she was greatly troubled at his words and, and wondered, what kind of a greeting is this? You think <laughs> an angel appears unexpected, not anticipated, not in the plan? 
Mary was a young woman focused on life and Joseph and their families and their future. And an angel shows up. And his words to her, you are highly favored and the Lord is with you. What would the right response be there? Mary didn't say anything. She sat there wondering. And what to her wondering mind did appear? An angel with the right words here. But the angel said to her, to her wondering, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called Son of the Most High. And he goes on. But what does Mary say? How will this be? Mary asked the angel, Since I'm a virgin. Mary knew exactly what Gabriel was talking about when he he came to her and mentioned the Son of the Most High God because she was a woman of the Word of God and people knew. People back then knew what Isaiah said. So when she hears this angel talking, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, she knew he was quoting from Isaiah 7.14 where it says, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The Israelites had been waiting for generations for the promised Messiah to come. And the time had come. The promise was about to be fulfilled, and God had chosen Mary to be an integral part of that. But she needed to know how. How will this be? Since I am a virgin, and the angel answers, and talks about the Holy Spirit coming on her and the power of the Most High overshadowing her. The angel confirms what God had said was possible. The angel tells Mary about her relative Elizabeth, who Mary very likely would have known was unable to conceive previously, but now apparently is six months pregnant. The angel says, you can trust what I'm saying is true because what does he say? No word from God will ever fail. Let's hang on to that promise, huh? No word from God will ever fail. What is Mary's response? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. What sweet obedience to God and his plans for her life. And really, his plans for the nation of Israel. And honestly, his plans for the whole world. As we remember John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. That is God's intent. It is Jesus' intent. Jesus came in response to love. He came with love, and he came to love. Mary's response to the plan God had for her was simple. May your word to me be fulfilled. What a beautiful response. Was there panic later or fear? Was she faint of heart? We don't see that recorded, but what we do see is this. We see perfect love being promised. And as the Apostle John later wrote, we see in action that perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Mary hears God's plan for her. Mary says, May it be to me as you have promised. May God's word be fulfilled. And she submits to what God has intended for her. This can be our inspiration, not because we're Mary, not because we're asked to do what Mary was asked to do, but because Mary's God is our God. As we contemplate the birth of Jesus, as we think about how this promised one has come, 
As we think about the way the promise had affected a young woman years ago, we can be inspired that God is now with us. We, of course, are not carrying the baby Jesus to earth, who will bring love to the world, but we do have the indwelling Holy Spirit given to us to enable us and empower us to love those who are around us. In the name of Jesus, to the glory of God. Are you experiencing faint of heart as you look ahead to what this season brings? Please know that God is enough, that his word is true. Please hold on to that, this Emmanuel, God with us, God with you. And enjoy this season with hope, knowing that you are loved by a God so greatly that he gave his son. You are loved by a God so greatly that he came to earth and that you are loved by a God so greatly that he indwells you and empowers you and enables you to live the life that God has intended for you to live.